Because like the self-limiting beliefs and the lack of confidence that you might have in yourself is by far the hardest thing that I've gone up against. And I know it can be kind of debilitating for a lot of other people. And so I think as you stack up evidence of your success in the past, it's always good to have that on reserve that you can kind of comb through and be like, no, that is the truth. Like I've done some, I've done some badass shit in my day. Have you ever thought about launching your own course, striking it rich with all that mailbox money? Must be nice, right? Well, let's find out. In this episode, I sit down with Matt D. Smith, one of my favorite freelancers, content creators, and product designers, to find out how he launched Shift Nudge, maybe the best online course for mastering user interface design out there. Shift Nudge has hundreds of positive reviews, thousands of members, and countless success stories. But developing and launching it took way more than you might expect. I talked to Matt about his career path and the experience and knowledge that it took to launch his course and how his passion for teaching and developing a curriculum that resonates with his audience is what allowed Shift Nudge to become his primary income stream. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and I invite you to subscribe to this channel wherever you're listening. Now let's jump into it with Matt D. Smith. I'm Brian Athey and this is The Creative Brief. What's up, brother? Good to see you. What's going on, man? I'm I'm excited to chat. Thanks for having me. Man, the pleasure is all mine. I'm so uh, I'm so excited to get to reconnect with you. We were talking a little bit before uh, the podcast started, but you and I first crossed paths back in the Epicurrent days. This was like had to be around 2019 because my my daughter had. It, it could have even been before I, that. There there were lots of snowboarding happening in the in the 2000 teens. Through You're right. I feel it's actually it was actually closer to sixteen. I think I had a my daughter was born the in November of fifteen, and I remember distinctly. I can always tie the date because it was like, all right, honey, I know we've got a uh, a two month old at the exactly. house, but I'm going to duck out and go on a ski trip for a little bit if that's cool with you. Exactly. It's for work, honey. I <laughs> promise it'll work. be okay. It's going to be so good for me to you know, connect and yeah, network. And- I had those exact same conversations with my wife and it was like, you kind of understood the value that that experience was going to bring and the people that were going to be there. But it was hard to explain that value to other people. It's like, I'm going to be snowboarding for a week, have fun. And inevitably my kids would get sick and yeah. have the flu or something while I was yeah. gone. Almost every time, like clockwork. It just, it just happens. Well, God bless the the beautiful, wonderful women that put up with us. Uh, can't exactly. say that enough. Bro, I think when when I first met you, you were kind of a jack of all trades. It feels like you were doing just about everything. Your specialty has been product design for a good long while, right? I mean, when people engage with you or when they want you to come speak somewhere, they're usually trying to get you to solve a high level product problem, right? Yeah, that's right. I've been... Kind of the, you know, started off as started off as like the visual designer, the UI designer early in my career, kind of evolved into a deeper understanding and application of UX design. And then for a period of time, it was like the thing to be called the UX UI designer. Yeah. And I think everybody kind of got sick of the acronyms and now it's like product designer. And so that that is a pretty accurate description. Is that still what you, I mean, do you still split 
some time doing, uh, doing client projects and, and building products or, uh, so I've, I've only done probably two client projects in the last four years. And prior to 2020, I was, you know, full-time product design, uh, UX, UI, some front end stuff like doing, I, I never really coded that much on client projects, but I was always loved writing HTML and CSS. Um, but then once, uh, once shift nudge launched, the first beta was in 2019, the, my inter, my big interface design course. Then I, I started running like beta groups for the first half of 2020. And then in August of 2020 that launched and it just kind of, it blew up more than I thought it right. would. And it has kept going and I've ran multiple enrollments each year since then. And people keep joining and I keep adding things and, and shifting things around and trying to make it better and coming up with new ways to do it. So I, I've only done smaller client projects in the mix of all that. And really just because it was uh, a previous client that came to me and they were like, Hey, I loved what yeah. you did for me previously. My company got bought and now we're doing the same thing with a new company with new branding and it's an iOS app and you'll only be working with me and the budget's bigger. You want to do it? And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's so that's, that's the thing I wanted to ask you about, man, because I've, I follow you on social and I feel like what I've witnessed over the course of the last couple of years is that you've made this transition of kind of posting work all the time sharing a lot of insights online from what I could understand. I think you had a, um, like a creative space, a studio space for a while that you used as a co-working yep, space. space. Yep. Um, and you know, not to mention the fact that like, you know, you are the one designer that I know that does not live in one program agnostically. Like if something cool comes out on Figma tomorrow, you could very likely master it and post a tutorial within the week. If, somebody needs like an editing uh, tutorial, like you probably have mastered Premiere one way or another, or you might be a Final Cut guy, but like- I, I used to be, yeah, I used to be a Premiere guy. Now I'm like Team Final okay, Cut. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. And then like, you know, you've got to remodel your house. You're going to jump into Sketch. You seem to have this ability to do almost everything. But over the course of the last year, I've watched you really bring some things into balance. And, you know, I, I mentioned to you that I saw this tweet the other day and it, it says success can- Success can also begin when you find out what you truly do not want is what I, what you yeah. messaged me about. And it seems like that's not just something you were saying. It seems like something you've lived over the course of the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, like even I think that statement traces back to my college days when my wife and I were dating <laughs> at the time we weren't married and I was just doing a bunch of dumb stuff as many people do in college. And I remember kind of like being confronted by her at some point And she was like, almost like, ah, it wasn't like an ultimatum. It wasn't like an ultimatum, but it was like, I don't really want to be with somebody who's doing this and this and this, and just made this kind of like statement about some of the things that she wanted. And I remember thinking like, I don't really, I don't see myself doing these things long-term either. And I don't really want to be that type of person. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do when I was in college, but I had the realization, like I can make progress if I can just by process of elimination say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. 
And that was a significant turning point in our relationship and also just kind of like my outlook on, on life in general. And I've definitely carried that with me as well uh, into the future. Did, did you go right into like an agency or a, or in-house somewhere after school? Yeah. So at my first job out of college was working in-house at this CNC machine shop. And that's like computer numerically controlled machine for those laymen who aren't familiar with the term, but it's basically these giant machines that you program to like, you know, drill and cut aluminum pieces. Uh, think about like an elaborate machined part that just, I don't know, bolts onto the side of a motorcycle or an airplane, just anything out of metal, titanium, aluminum. And this guy was, was building these high quality cycling components, uh, primarily cycling calipers, brake calipers that, uh, professional road cyclists would have on their bike. And he had this patented design and he was like, had the lightest and the strongest brakes on the market. And he was making them all locally in this like shop that he had mm-hmm. built. And he, he had maybe 10 people working for him and he was looking for a designer to join the team to do branding, to do design, to do websites and things like that. And that was my first job out of college. And I worked in house with him for about two years. Um, and I thought it was cool. So cool at the time, because it was like, I'm a contractor and I just, you know, I make my own rules, but I'm also there 40 <laughs> hours a week and I'm paying my own taxes and I don't have any benefits. Yeah. Um, so well, learned a lot of lessons in those well, early years, but that's, that was one of my first jobs, uh, out of college. Okay. So I, I think that, you know, I, I'm really just curious how you got into freelancing then. I mean, how did you build this reputation yeah. that, you've been able to leverage so much because it's, it's, I'm sure not by accident that you've figured out a way to attract work, present and promote yourself, be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. So I think it started by accident and then I started just harnessing the events to my advantage that, you know, transpired afterwards. So that job actually, went, it was like, Oh, you know what? I can only afford to pay you two days a week now. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. But he was like, I I think I was making like $14 an hour at the time. And he knew that I was doing some freelance on the side at $25 an hour. And he was like, I'm going to drop you down to two, two days a week, but I'll pay you your freelance rate. I was like, I mean, that's actually not that bad of a deal. Okay. And so I, I started doing two days with him and then I found another part-time job commuting to Atlanta for two days a week at the same rate. And so all of a sudden I was like, dang, I just like almost doubled my revenue. And now I'm working uh, 2,400 a month, like five grand a month right there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I had an extra day uh, to myself. And so I'm like, I'm going to start cultivating more freelance projects. I'm going to start reaching out. I'm going to start, you know, just figuring out what I could do. and, And again, this is like, just to set the stage here, this is probably in the year 2008, maybe, you know, I don't even know. I didn't even join Twitter till like 2009. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and so, you know, Instagram wasn't even a thing yet. Facebook was barely off the ground. And like, I was, I was finding freelance projects on Craigslist. Of <laughs> really? All places. That could get yeah, dicey, like, man. <laughs> I, 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 totally. 
Like I drove to some dude's house in Atlanta to design a brochure for him in his living room. <laughs> oh man, for real? I I mean like no, I, it wasn't doing it all the time, but that was definitely, I still remember the dude and it was just like the weirdest experience. Uh, I don't know if I would recommend come, that. Come for live everyone, design but, in my living room. Don't, don't look behind the curtain. Don't pay attention to what I'm doing over here, but just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was, so basically, basically Fridays were my, my off day. And that was like my freelance Friday, like hustle day. I could, you know, work on figuring out how to animate stuff in Adobe flash or macromedia mm-hmm. flash as what it was at the time. Some people aren't even going to know what flash is, but if you're old enough to know what flash is, and then if you're even old enough to know what macromedia flash was like, you know, fist bump to you. Uh, so I was doing that. And, and then somewhere along the way, uh, a recruiter from an agency in Atlanta emailed me and was like, Hey, I found your portfolio online. And I was always, I was posting stuff to like cargo collective or like whatever hot new portfolio. Um, there was even one called like Coraflot, C O R O F L O T. I don't even know if it's a thing anymore, but I was basically just posting all of my work online. Anytime I saw some kind of site, I was just like posting it. So this recruiter found me and emailed me and they were in Atlanta and they said, Hey, we've got this big project coming up for, um, for, for Yahoo of all, of all companies like Yahoo was like really big into they had like Yahoo communities, Yahoo sports, Yahoo, whatever, because this was like pre, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram taking over the world. And Yahoo had a ton of social uh, capital in their in their like ecosystem. And so this agency was doing a ton of work for Yahoo. And a lot of big agencies will sell way more work than they can actually handle in house. So they have to rely on a team of contractors to come in and, you know, to fill in the gaps. And I just so happened to get on the radar of this one person. And that was like such a pivotal moment in my career because all of a sudden I'm surrounded by like professionals doing like proper information architecture. And this was the term before UX was even a term. It was like, everyone was an IA and they're designing uh, wireframes and OmniGraffle. And I'm like, I'm not using that software. Um, and, and so, but I learned a lot about like strategy and like, oh my gosh, like people are actually really legitimately strategizing about websites. Mm -hmm. My prior experience to that had just been like FTP cowboy, you know, like just throw up something on the FTP server and call it a website and you just do it live. You know, I didn't know people were actually taking this seriously. Like this is a legitimate business online. I was like, oh my gosh. All right. Let me like dive into this more. And so I just started learning on the job all about like the way they're thinking about information. And I was always like more of a technically minded artist, even when I was in art art school and things like that. So I just kind of naturally gravitated towards that technical side of design. And I spent probably five years bouncing around different agencies in the Atlanta area, uh, some for like a year or two. And, and so they would, I just slowly built up a network mm-hmm. And I was always incredibly intentional about like, I don't know if they know that I know how good this job is for me. So I'm going to do everything I can to like keep this for as long as possible. Because I think, I think I even like doubled my rate going to agency work. They were like, oh yeah. I think when I got there, the lady in the HR department was like, didn't you say like you were charging like 60 to $75 an hour? And I was like, yes. (laughs) 
And I don't know if we'd even have that conversation. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, my mind is blown. And, and yeah, so it was like, I was like so excited. It was a huge, huge, you know, jump for me and my career. Do you think you were, do you think you were finding that success? It sounds like it was just as much about the client experience or the, or the agency's experience with you as it was the actual design work. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And the, I mean, the reason the agency reached out to me in the first place, and and she even told me this. She was like, "I love your design work. It reminds me a lot of our creative director's work, who also happened to be a, a UGA grad, which I was as well. University of Georgia, for those who don't know. Go Tigers. Um, and so, like, my <laughs> my uh, design work, you know, was speaking for me online, as many people's work does. And I think that's that's one of the you know, an important nugget to remember, like you can do as much outreach and as stuff as you want, but if you're, if you look at your work online and it's not what somebody is looking for, then you're just going to get looked over. And so that's kind of like where I have, I have, you know, known that skill and design is going to be and continue to be a, a really highly desired trait. And that's kind of what got me in the door. But also there's been plenty of designers that I saw come and go at agencies that were just total jerks and really hard to work with, super duper opinionated um, and and kind of like unrelentless in terms of their stance on an opinion where I was just like, I just going, to, I'm going to let the project manager know what I'm doing every day. I'm going to respond to their emails like super fast and I'm just going to be everyone's favorite designer. And that was my goal while I was at this agency because they were letting me work remotely because it's about an hour and a half drive from Athens to Atlanta. And this is like, you know, 2010 or so before remote work really even became a, a known kind of a, uh, like, I don't know, it was, wasn't even like a buzzword yet. I'm, but I'm like, I'm, I'm going to keep this up for as long as possible because this is amazing. And it was, I mean, kind of like skill and work ethic combined along with trying to be overly communicative and friendly and nice it just naturally exploded my network in that Atlanta agency world that in ways that I didn't really even know were going to be possible. It wasn't like my goal to do that, but I realized now that was a byproduct of just having, you know, really hard work ethic and, and trying to continually improve my craft and do as good of work as I can. You mentioned a couple of things about, you know, wanting to, wanting to show up, wanting to be available, wanting to respond quickly, wanting to show work on a, on a regular cadence to just ease sort of the natural anxiety of bringing on a vendor. sounds like you found a lot of success there. What are, what are some of your other tips for just sort of that vendor relationship? Can you give, can you give people a perspective on what it's like to actually bring in a vendor and then as a vendor, the best ways to, to meet expectations? Yeah, it's interesting. Cause there's, I guess there's two different ways that this worked in my you know, in my earlier career on the agency side, it was almost easier because I had such, I had such a strong referral from within that agency. It's like a project manager that used to work with me on the project at agency one now works at agency two. And they told their creative director that like, if Matt's available, we have to get him on this project, like just whatever it takes. And so I would arrive and it would just be like a conversation about when I could start. It wasn't even like an interview. It was just like, I had such a strong referral mm-hmm. that it would just happen almost effortlessly. And I would just hit the ground running because I had already worked with this other project manager. I had already, you know, and so that was, that was 
those were the easiest moments, but that was also like working hourly. Usually there's always an hourly rate with an agency and there's, there's pros and cons to that as well. But then whenever I, after years and years of that, I ultimately started working directly with the CEO of a startup or, you know, someone who, who used to be in the agency and now they are project managing for this, you know, new venture that they just raised series A and they want to bring somebody in. So that relationship's, you know, always a little bit trickier to manage because now you are not only worried about designing for money on the hour, but now it's like, let me describe to you the value that I can bring you as you're trying to, to build your MVP. Let me explain the value of why doing a bunch of uh, low fidelity design up front might be a good option for you. And we can get the developers and the stakeholders on the same page. So you don't start building something that you're, that, that is ultimately not going to work. And then let me explain the value of, you know, getting the design really nice and tight before you go to market. And so there's a lot more of like setting and managing expectations, even on the value side, but it also doesn't hurt if you have a good body of work that accurately shows your capabilities. I remember one guy hired me because he was like, I saw that you did a project with maps and we're, there's going to be a lot of maps on our project. So like, I'm excited to work with you. <laughs> Just the fact that I had map work in my previous project, he was like convinced that I was already going to be able to do a great job. Yeah. I've, I always try and give this advice that, um, you know, the people that are hiring you are, um, there's a lot of anxiety on their side. They're, they're trying to hire somebody with a, without a real expectation of how they're going to fit with the team and how they're going to sort of survive the gauntlet of what is usually a pretty high stakes endeavor, especially if you're working with a founder. Yeah. And I always try to explain to people that, that it is that relationship that you build and that back and forth that you build that is just as important and kind of will help you level up a lot faster than just, you know, following a certain framework or, you know, being the expert yeah, at one system 100%. or another, or, you know, being able to talk that language is such a value add. Yeah. I feel like the relationship side of it is huge. And, and even just having the, the relational maturity of, having difficult conversations or, or feeling confident enough to push back on an idea that you don't agree with in a way that doesn't sound combative. And it's like, like, I, I like that idea, but you know, if we did it that way, this is, this might be a side effect that we aren't aware of. And so if you have a different, you know, even just, you know, people always talk about how design is sales mm -hmm. and I, in a lot of way it is, you're trying to sell your idea or sell your design or sell your approach. And I think, uh, even, you know, convincing a group of friends to go eat at this restaurant over another restaurant is sales in yeah. a way. So I think there's a lot of like delicate balance of conversation between persuading someone to do one thing or the other and, and just kind of being open and honest as well. And I think there's, there's a lot of, you know, soft skills or whatever you want to call it that kind of goes into it, that, that feeds into that ability. Um, but if you can know what a client is afraid of and what they're hoping for and what their dreams are like hopes, dreams, and fears. And you can like extinguish the anxiety because you said this and you did that and, and you're kind of aligned on the same goal. Then I feel like it, you know, it can be a real, real superpower. That's it, man. The job has goals, but that person that you're working with on a daily basis, they have goals too. They're, they're things that count exactly. as a win to them. If you make them look good and they can go into their organization and be stronger and be better and, 
you know, get a win for whatever project they're on, especially if it's a founder, but even if it's, if it's, a um, just an account executive or a, a project manager working at that agency, when you win for them, they're the ones that call you back. They're the ones that vouch for you. They become the advocate. Yeah. Um, it's not always about the deliverable. 100%. It's so much about that experience. What were you, did yeah. you start having kids? Were you a freelancer when you started having kids? I was. Yeah. And it was, that's terrifying. what I was going to ask you about. Is it not the, like it is, it is the scariest thing as a provider to go through that anxiety of having to be completely reliant on work coming from other places and that paycheck coming yeah. from other places while you've got these little lives that you're bringing in the world. You've got four. Is that right? I have four. four. Yeah. What, how did you feel when, when the kids started coming? So my first kid was born when I had my first job out of college. So my wife and I dated for four years before we got married. And then after a year of marriage, we had our, we, we, I can't remember if we, we got married in 2005 and we had our first kid in 2007. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I was still working in house at this little place making, you know, chump change at the mm -hmm. time. And my wife was working full time as well. And thank, thank God she had benefits with her work. Cause I had literally none. Uh, unless you counted like riding the, the boss's motorcycle in the backyard, a benefit. Hey man, if they, I mean, if at the time the, I was pretty contract, it. it sounds pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, I'm just like, now I just, you know, I need to buy a, a motorcycle helmet is, you know, for the boss's motorcycle. Like I legitimately had that conversation <laughs> with my wife back in the day, but yeah, so I was, I was like somewhat stable with this job, but then as soon as he was like, I need to you know, take you down to two days a week. I was just like freaking out. And fortunately my wife was working full time and, and there was just no way I could sustain like providing for the entire family. Even if my wife wanted to stay at home, it just wasn't an option at the time. So it wasn't until I started working with the agency that my wife made the decision to start staying at home when, when she had her, when we had our second son. Um, and I, and still it was like, even thinking back to it now, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, how did I do that? And, but you really just take it day by day and it, it is terrifying. And I think a lot of the terror, the terror comes from the feast or famine mm -hmm. that happens when you're freelancing. And you, there's just so many unknowns. Like, I don't know what's going to happen after this project. And you kind of have to, you have to field other requests while you're working on your main thing, or maybe you're doing two at a time. And uh, it, it can be quite challenging. And for whatever reason, I, I didn't really plan to stick with freelance for a long time. It just, it worked out so well with the agencies for two or three years. And then it started working out well with the startups that I just got used to having the freedom and the control over my time, even if it was more of a perceived freedom, because ultimately I still had things that I was on the hook for. Um, and so there were several times, like I think in 2013, I went three interviews deep with Facebook and this was when they were still requiring you, if you worked at Facebook, you either, you had to move to San Francisco, New York or Seattle, I think were the three options. And I remember even in the interview, I was basically trying to convince them not to hire me. Cause I was just like, yeah, I just don't know. I, I was just having like a mini existential crisis back mm -hmm. then because I was in a non-tech hub. And I was doing all this work in Atlanta for these agencies. A lot of, you know, a, a lot of it was kind of like 
I mean, I, I'm proud of a lot of the work that I did, but it wasn't, you know, making the front page of product hunt or whatever. It, sometimes it was like an, a responsive web application for managing the transportation logistics of these carriers across the Southeast and sounds so boring, but it was such fun work for me. Like it was like real tangible work. And I just kind of ha kept having this crisis where I'll, I'm like, I'm on Twitter and I'm watching all this cool stuff happen uh, in the Bay and in New York. And, and so that's kind of like when I started Feeling like actively trying to get involved with conferences and Dan started doing the Epicurrent stuff. And I'm like, yes, I need, I need to expand was my that kind of the first, was that kind network. of the first pathway to kind of that, branching out if you you've always kind of been around atlanta right yeah okay, that's so right is that the first time you were really like so i mean you're mds online and you've got you know those are all your handles and it's branded on your website but that had to be there had to be some intentionality behind that i feel like i feel like there's right around the time of epicurrence was also the time that i started seeing you a lot more uh online and yeah. showing up on youtube and um creating these little viral moments on, on your social channels and responding to the news of the day with tutorials or, or hot takes and things like that. I feel like you, at some point you had to decide to shift to be more of a, a branded figure. You had to, you had to start building that reputation outside of just the work you were doing. Yeah. I, and I, I think a lot of that initially started just from being on Twitter and I would see people like, uh, Chris Coyer starting CSS tricks mm -hmm. and reading like Brad Frost. And I, I went to like an Atlanta web design uh, group meetup and Brad Frost, Brad Frost was speaking at the MailChimp headquarters and he was talking about his idea for atomic web mm -hmm. design. And, and that was kind of like game changing for the entire design systems industry. Yeah. And I, as I went to more talks, as I read more blog posts, I was like, I, I, I really enjoy this. And I like the idea of like sharing ideas online. And so like I started my own blog and like must've been 2012, 2013, maybe even earlier. And, uh, one of the first big, you know, viral moments was, uh, I think it was in 2013. I had just come back from, uh, a conference in Texas called circles conference. Yeah that it's still yeah. run sometimes by Ish Bersiaga. And I'm, I met uh, a lot of people at that conference and I was kind of inspired by a lot of the people that spoke there. And I was working on this little app on the plane ride home. And my friend and I were actually trying to build like a mobile app for, for Craigslist. I know this is like a recurring theme, but I was selling <laughs> a bunch of crap. I was just getting rid of a bunch of stuff. And honestly, Craigslist is a, I mean, Facebook have Marketplace a, has probably... I'm going to have a little sponsored ad pop up underneath this right now. It's going to pop yeah, up exactly. Craigslist. <laughs> Craigslist is like the, the silent beast of the internet. Like it's still going. It's probably like a multi-billion dollar website. Sure it and it's still, you know, probably has like a single page, a hundred lines of yeah, CSS and that's it. You know, it's just like, it. I mean, it's underrated. It's mm -hmm. still underrated. Um, But we were, I just, I was going through the process of, you know, we, we were living in this tiny house and I think our third kid was born by, by then. And maybe we were pregnant with our fourth and it was just like, I got to get rid of a bunch of stuff. So I was trying to actively get rid of just random play toys and stuff. And every time I would post something on Craigslist, I was like mortified. Cause it's like this 12 step process. I got to choose a category and I got to choose the subcategory and then I got to upload some pictures and then I got to, so I convinced one of my developer friends locally who loves just kind of creative, 
challenges with code. I was like, could we create a Craigslist app, like scraping the data and posting the data? And, and he, he was up for the challenge. And, and I was like, I'm determined to create a Craigslist app that you can post something for sale with one screen with the keyboard showing. And that's it. I, I'm so tired of going through this like 30 minute process and these 12 steps when it could be combined. And, and I was doing a lot of iOS design at the time. And that's when I was like, how can I make these critical form fields like as tightly condensed as I possibly can? Because, you know, back then we're all on like an iPhone four and the screen was even right. tinier. And with the keyboard showing, you've got like, you know, 350 by 350 pixels to design with. And, and that was where I came up with the idea of typing into a form field and then a tiny little label popping up just to let you know that you had typed into the field. And that ultimately kind of birthed the float label movement. And so like, and, and, and I wrote a blog post about it because all of a sudden all these people were blogging about it and making their own demos and CSS and JavaScript and everybody had a slightly different take and everybody was linking back to my original nice. post on my blog about the float label thing. And, and that was kind of like my, my big, like Matt's here yeah. on the internet, you know, making a splash. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I just kind of, I don't know, it wasn't really intentional. I wasn't trying to, to make a movement or I was just trying to make a Craigslist app. You know, I was trying to embrace these constraints mm -hmm. and do something really cool. And, um, and from there, I just started enjoying sharing ideas. And, and I think that one really sparked, sparked things for me online. It just kind of gave me more confidence to share more ideas and more, uh, I don't know, hot takes and mm -hmm dribbles, dribble posts and Twitter posts. And it just kind of naturally evolved. And I started like, Oh, maybe I should speak at a conference. Maybe I should teach a workshop. Yeah. You know, a lot of people will have a hesitancy because, you know, posting something like that is going to, you know, it means putting themselves out there, but it also means like, you know, they've got to get a camera or they've got to figure out some way to record it, or they've got to figure out some way to commandeer a friend to develop it. Or they've got, you know, there are all these, there are all these barriers that make it just it's so easy to say, no, nah, not this time. Um, yeah. But you consistently show up. You've got a tremendous amount of consistency with with your content and finding these moments. You know, I think about the um, the Twitter verified shirt is one of my favorites from recently. It's like, what do you kind of always have your mind in this kind of marketing yourself? aspect. I mean, there's no, there's no marketing team behind you, not behind most freelancers. You've got to get yourself out there somewhere. So how do you figure out how to capitalize on these prime targets so easy? And what motivates you to just take the action instead of just so, letting the idea stop? Uh, it, it's a hard question for me to answer because I mean, I think if, if you asked, you know, nine out of 10 people, do you want to go viral online? They'd probably say yes. Um, it's kind of like, yeah, that'd be great. And I don't know that I've actually intentionally strategized to go viral. I just, my default is I just like making cool stuff and, and making funny things if, if the situation calls for it. And so I, when I made that Twitter verified design, that went so viral. I was just thinking so about viral. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it. I'd have to look it back up, but it was definitely like, I don't know, maybe 10 million yeah. views on mm -hmm. Twitter and, it, it was wild. And, um, but it was just like, I don't know. I just, I remember the, the Mark Jacobs by Mark Jacobs designed by Mark Jacobs. It's kind of been a meme 
and I was just like, this reminds me of that. So I think it'd be funny to do a little design. <laughs> and I think, you know, if you are capitalizing on like a, a popular event that happens and, you know, I'm like pretty invested in Twitter. I've been on Twitter almost every day for the last decade and a half almost, um, which is both impressive and sad if you think about it. <laughs> I mean, honest um, take. Honest and take. so like you just get used to, it's like, it's almost like that is my my metaverse. Twitter is my metaverse right now. I mean, and it's expanded obviously into other places, but it's like, even if you and I were in, in my studio designing together and I saw that online, I'd be like, Oh, wouldn't it be funny if we did like Twitter verify? What if we made t-shirts about that? And I would show it to you and I would just do it cause it would yeah. be funny. And I enjoy making stuff. And, and that's it. I don't know. So it was just, it wasn't planned obviously. Well, not maybe not obviously, but I wasn't like trying to go viral or anything, just making fun content, making good design, just trying to be, I don't know. It sounds kind of hokey, but like just trying to be true to myself. Like, I think this is funny. So I'm going to post it. I like the way this looks. I'm going to post it. This is my opinion on this. So I'm going to post it. Well, Not that the internet needs that many more opinions, but you know, that's basically all the internet is. I feel like there are a lot of folks that are like, um, you know, I've got to figure out a way to just be true to myself. You know, I was talking to Dan the other day on, on our uh, interview and he says like, you just got to be real. You've got to be authentic. And I think that, you know, a lot of people's approach, especially in kind of like this creator economy, uh, where everybody's trying to go viral is, you know, like chat GPT, what are 10 ways that I can be authentic? You know, like, like give me, give me 10 <laughs> ways that I can be authentic. And it's, it's hard yeah. to tap into it's because it seems like such a big pool of water it seems very hard to dive in. But if there's one thing that I've learned just from doing this, it's that like, it seems like there are a lot of barriers to entry and it seems like putting yourself out there is intimidating. But yeah, as soon as you do it, not only do you get this huge sense of relief because you know, you've kind of, you're being called to put an idea out there, but you know, you also just like, you realize that it's, it's way easier than you thought it was. You know, anytime, anytime yeah. I bet you've made an investment in something, be it, you know, career or viral moment, or even this course, I bet that there was a big hesitation until you actually oh, just yeah. did it. Yeah. I mean, even, even to this very day, it's, there's always some like resistance mm-hmm. that you're kind of like always working against. I, I love, I, I probably need to reread it. The, the War of Arts by Stephen Pressfield is like a fantastic book that talks all about res, that resistance and the, like the creative muse and being able to like harness the energy. Um, but yeah, especially when you haven't posted anything, like hitting publish for the first time, you're just like, oh my gosh, like so nervous. Yeah. But then the more you do it, the realize you, you realize like nobody cares. Mm-hmm there might be some sticks in the mud that say something mean, but it's like, if you're the exact opposite of what I want to be and I, and you think I'm lame, then I'm a hundred percent a success because you think I'm lame and I don't want to be anything yeah. like you. Therefore I'm doing what I'm doing. Like I'm winning. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, and I, I, I still think back to like, I remember I did a, a, a live stream on, Adobe, like at the Adobe headquarters okay. in San Francisco, we did like, it was like when XD was first coming out, I was a part of the, the, like, it was called project comet advisory group. 
And this was before it was even named Adobe XD. It was way before like Figma became popular. And um, through some, I, I actually spoke at a JavaScript conference in Atlanta of all places on responsive design. And one of the guys that work, works at Adobe was like, hey, would you be interested in testing out the uh, the new software we're working on? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And that led to like live streaming with them. And um, so it's just kind of like another reason why, if you, if you have the idea that you want to speak at a conference, like go do it. And you might have one person in the audience that invites you to something that unlocks a whole new uh, avenue for your career. And, and so anyway, I was, I was live streaming on Adobe and this is back before I was doing a lot of video. So if you've not done video before, if you haven't recorded yourself and posted it online, if you talk at a normal cadence, like you would at a restaurant, it kind of sounds like you're kind of depressed mm -hmm. and it's not really that engaging and it seems way boring. And that's kind of what my attitude was. Like I wasn't trying to be boring, but looking back on it, it was just like, I can see why someone might think that I am a total D bag. Yeah. Are you also, are you looking <laughs> and, at a teleprompter when you do it too? Or do you have a, are you just like trying to remember a script? It, de it depends. Like, like the most recent video that I made on Twitter, I read all of that from a teleprompter okay. because I just needed to be fast. I needed to, I needed to like get it out there. I don't want to, if you try to just, you can wing it. And I think a lot of times, it, sometimes it can be more natural to do that. And you definitely get better at it, but it, it really depends on the context of what you're videoing or whatever. But at, at Adobe stuff, it was not teleprompted. It was just all live kind of off the cuff. But I, I remember someone commented on one of my videos, one of the first comments, it was like, Matt looks and sounds like a triple A douche. And I was like, thanks guy. They I pinned it and stayed on the screen the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And, and I went back and commented just because I kind of like feeding the trolls. Sometimes I was like, is that better than a regular douche? If so, thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. Wait into that a little bit. That's what but, the you D know, and, like, and Matt D Smith stands for, right? <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. No, man. I, I, you know, I, I wanted to ask you that mostly because I watch, um, some of the things you do extracurricular from design. Um, and I really want to get to like how you were able to put the time and thought and effort it takes to build this incredible course that is shift nudge. I want you to get to talk about that a little bit, but before you do, I think that I just want to speak to your discipline a bit. And I want to ask you about you know, showing up each day, how that ties into kind of creating a personal brand to help market yourself a bit and, to, you know, grow that, grow that awareness, grow those paychecks, grow that career. Um, you're also like a, a pretty consistent disciplined athlete at this point, right? I think I saw a post that you posted a while back that you've, you've transformed yourself over the course of the last few years. Yeah. I remember when I was, when my second kid was born, this is like 2010. And I, I went to some like family Thanksgiving thing and we were all playing volleyball. My wife's got a huge family. And, um, one of the, one of her cousins was like taking pictures and she was like taking these like down, she was sitting on the ground and I saw this picture of myself that she took when I was like going up for a volleyball, uh, hit. And I just almost didn't recognize myself. Really? I had probably put on like 40 pounds since, like being in college or whatever. And I had been working at these agencies, just absolutely like burning the candle at both ends, doing freelance, doing agency work, never going outside, never, the thought about working out wasn't even in my mind. 
Um, and I was like, you know, in my twenties and I, I didn't realize that I was slowly putting on the pounds yeah. like at a rapid Happy pace slow. and probably like pounding like six Cokes per day, yeah. not even, you know, have no idea about <laughs> sugar, calories, nothing. And I was just like, I saw this picture that she posted on Facebook of all places. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I, I hate oh, what no. I see. I absolutely hate I what I see. And that was like the moment that just kind of sparked all right, I got to like, I got to do something. I got to figure out how I need to start working out. I need to start, I need to do like some kind of DVD workout. This is back when DVDs were actually a thing. Did you do P90X? Um, oh, Hell I did yeah. P90X. You bet it. <laughs> so I started doing P90X. I did it multiple times. Um, and that just kind of like, that started a journey for me. Like I slowly weaned off of like all soft drinks and replaced it with sparkling water and, and then eventually I got into road cycling cause I have some buddies. That, well, I had like experience in the cycling industry. I got buddies in the cycling industry, started getting really big into that. Then it got really cold. And then I started strength training in the gym when it got cold. I was like, man, I haven't worked out since I was like early college days. And it just, I just felt so mm -hmm. much better. And, you know, I was also like, I had kids, I had freelance clients and it just wasn't going to happen for me unless I did it early in the morning. And I, I, I am a natural night owl. It's really hard for me to make myself go to bed at a yeah. reasonable time. I think that, but it was like, I had these constraints that existed in my life. And if I wanted to improve myself personally, it was just going to have, have to happen between the hours of like four 30 in the morning or five in the morning to like seven or eight, whenever things started kicking off. And so I had a season, I don't do it now, but I had a season where I was like, getting up and running five miles or getting up and lifting weights. And I just started brick by brick, slowly building habits of just becoming healthier. And I just found it absolutely fulfilling. And I just always try to keep it up. And I I'm streaky. Like I haven't actually lifted weights one time in 2024 other than like some pull-ups in the garage yeah. or some push-ups or whatever. Um, but you know, it, it kind of comes in ebbs and flows and it, it depends on the season of life. But that was like the kickstart of my, like, I don't know, my physical fitness. And as my kids have gotten older, I'm like, I want to, I want to be healthy. I want to be able to actively mountain bike with them. I want to take them snowboarding and doing all kinds of fun yeah, stuff I, like that. Uh, yeah. You, you might say that you're a little streaky, but I think I, I watched you one time. <clears throat> I didn't see the weight total, but you lifted a tremendous amount of weight on a, on a deadlift. <laughs> that I mean, well you know the thing is like when you you know if you deadlift for 10 years you're gonna put on you know you're gonna be able to get stronger and stronger just bit by bit and it always sucks to get back started there um, really is that malaise that sits in almost where you you yeah. feel that barrier to entry is just really tough it's like once you get in the rhythm it's great but if you're just used to like taking some days off and then taking some weeks off and sitting at the desk a little longer or staying up a little later or yeah. like that discipline can just slip so easy. And I've never been one of those people that can just like flip the switch and break it off. And just, this is my new routine and I'm, I'm I will make no sacrifices and just do it all the time. But, um, yeah, I know that, you know, anytime that I've tried to push myself to, you know, get in shape or, you know, run a marathon or something like that, it brings a level of clarity and also a level of intentionality to almost everything that I engage in work-wise because yeah, your time really is more compressed. It's more, it's more finite. And maybe you're, maybe, yep. maybe it's because you have more time to think while you're out on those long runs and stuff. But when you're actually <laughs> at the computer, 
it almost forces an efficiency. It's like, I'm going to show up and I'm going to get done what I have to get done because, you know, part two of my life kicks in when I go see my kids and then part three, when we do dinner and then part four, when we do bedtime, it's like, I can't just sit at this chair and procrastinate. I got to just get something done and doing those hard things helps. Yeah, absolutely. And there are, and don't get me wrong. There are plenty of times and days where I procrastinate so badly that you would be astonished, you know? So it's not like I'm doing stuff every single day and it's just like the needle never stops moving forward. There's plenty of days where I slip up, but of course, just like everyone else, I, I post mostly highlight reels online. And, uh, so it's, you know, maybe a skewed perception, um, in, in some regards and, but I will say like, yeah, doing some hard things. I feel like I have gotten some of my absolute best ideas on runs or while lifting weights or listening to an audio book while I'm working out or, or something like that. And, um, even just, you know, when I was creating shift nudge while doing client work, while trying to work out, I mean, that was some of the most grueling days of my life. Like it just, I don't, I'm just constantly staring up this mountain. That's thinking like, how the heck am I going to, cause it's not. So let's, let's fill everybody in on what shift nudge is that doesn't know it. Your new, your new iteration, your new enrollment period opened up on the 15th of January. Right. And, um, I saw, you know, tap the screen and paused it. You've got about 3,500 people in your general Slack channel. So you've seen a ton of people find value in these courses, sign up for these courses, go through the experience, but tell, tell us like how you conceived it and what it is and what it's grown into. I'll, I'll tell you what it is and then I'll rewind in time a little bit and tell you how I got there. So shift nudge is a course for learning how to design visually beautiful interfaces. It's all about the the nerdy details of typography, color, and layout, and how you can, you know, harness those small systems to create, you know, beautiful design. And then in some of the later modules like style and imagery and interface elements, it's kind of like a combination of all those core elements, you know, uh, interpreted into actual interface design and and tactics for mobile first and iOS design and how you can kind of, you know, think of, think of that, that design in a, in a more of a systematic way. And the only reason I got to that point is because back in 2015, I did my first course. I got inspired by someone who, who did like a lettering design course back in like 2013 or 2014 And they wrote a blog post about their experience and they had all these people download this free thing. And I was just like, man, I, I've always enjoyed like sharing my process and sharing how I do things. Even in design school, I was like, oh, the way you're doing the lasso there, if you could like hold shift, you could add it without doing a whole new, I was just always excited about sharing my knowledge with people. And so it just felt natural for me to do that. And so I created my first course in 2015 and it was called AI UX. And it was all about using Adobe Illustrator for UX design. And as soon as I launched it, Sketch had just like taken over the market. Previously, people were using Photoshop for UI design. I I mean, it feels so archaic to even say that. Like, I feel like a dinosaur saying that we used to design interfaces inside of Photoshop. Some people still do. I'm not like knocking it. But um, 
uh, Brian Powell, one of my like top designer, like I admire his work so much. Like he still works exclusively in Photoshop, which he's doing a lot of marketing and branding and uh, stuff like that. But uh, it was, it was like a, a completely new experience to do curriculum, to, to make videos. I, I bought my very first microphone and filmed the videos with my super crappy MacBook cam at the time. And, but went down this like deep, deep, deep internet wormhole for, for like online marketing and listen to these podcasts about courses and marketing and sales and writing copy and all this stuff. And it did. Okay. It was like, it did as well as maybe like one client project would do, but it wasn't like now I'm doing this full time. And I learned a lot from that. And I also spent way too much time trying to optimize my systems behind the scenes without having the traffic going to the product to actually make it, make it sustainable. And I had one of the worst moments of my like professional career. What was like, I'm looking at the bank account and I'm like, I've got like 30 days of cash left in the bank. And bunch of kids at home, my wife's at home and I'm just like freaking out. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I'm like, I just had this like moment where I'm like, I have to stop every bit of focus and I've got to like direct everything back towards client work. And I'm just not going to stop until I can get us into like a much better place. And uh, fortunately, like a big project that I had submitted a proposal for that I didn't even really want to do. And I almost gave them like a go away price. They, they like contacted me within that week and was like, yeah, we want to do it. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, like my savior. Oh man, dude, those are such uh, relief come through too. I know it's, it's, you know, it's very intense. It's intense. intense, And, and for the next, I mean, solid two years, I was like, client work, client work, client work. I'm not ever going to put myself in that situation again, but I love doing those courses. And I did like a workshop, more workshops at Adobe max for like icon design, did some more talks. I did a big product design workshop at Epicurrence yep. winter work mm-hmm. week. Um, and just really loved it. And I was like, man, I really want to, I want to give this another go. And I want to take everything that I've learned from doing video writing curriculum designing the assets. And I was like, I want to create a new brand that is not tied to Adobe Illustrator or tied to Figma or tied to Adobe XD, because I feel like I got burnt by putting all my eggs in one basket. And, um, I was like, I, I want to create something that's more fundamental. Like the, the principles of typography are not going to change. Um, principles of color and layout are not going to change. You might apply them differently for different environments, that was my new methodology for creating chef nudge. And, and I wanted to create a course that was like software agnostic, even though I might use Figma on the majority to do some live demos. I just wanted to create something that was extremely valuable for interface design that wouldn't get stale very easily. And so even back then I was like trying to figure out the curriculum and the ways that I could create the content and, and, make it as valuable as humanly possible and as relevant for as long as possible in in kind of like both ways. And I was originally going to do a, both a user interface and user experience design course, like all in one where it's like, if you don't know anything, this is all you need. But it felt weird to, to do like a kerning lesson or line height and also like user research and user flows. Like it just felt like a, you know, I couldn't go as deep as I want to in the visual side 
and ultimately just like decided to cut all the UX specific training out. And it, and it kind of ended up working well because now I have a lot of UX designers who don't have a lot of visual skill. They don't have to, you know, I think if it was like a full yeah, encompassing market almost has shifted design in your course, favor a bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I feel like I, my underlying principle for creating the curriculum, I, I feel like it just, it, it was advantageous mm-hmm. now that like young designers get value out of it. Intermediate designers, project managers who want to get into design or UX designers, developers who are building their own products. Like there's a lot of people who just want to get better at visual design. And, and that has kind of hit a sweet spot for a lot, you of, know, a people. lot of people think about you know, they kind of put a, a course on their trajectory. It's like one day I'm going to make a course or maybe a lot of folks are kind of quick to want to put a course together and get that passive income coming in. I saw a tweet the other day from, from Ben Burns that said, um, there's no such thing as passive income. It's more like delayed income. You know, you're, you're getting yeah. paid down the line for work that you have to do right now. And yeah. it's no small amount of work. I feel like you know, these courses are comprehensive. They're all videoed in high quality. They're, you know, you've written out your curriculum. You've, you've built this interface. There's this whole system that had to go in, I'm sure for, um, user management and, uh, payment systems. And I mean, no small, no small feat. This was one of those, this is a big risk, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I had, I had done, uh, you know, I'd worked, I worked off and on, on the new curriculum for like two years, just on the curriculum. And I, I even, I hired, uh, the director of community, uh, I hired the director of continuing education at Clemson university through a mutual friend to come and like audit my content. And like, I paid him as a contractor, like as a education consultant and was like, you know, he kind of instructed me a little bit like, well, you really need a starting module that kind of sets the pace. And here's how you can think about the lesson structure. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Uh, Because teaching, like actually teaching in a way that impacts someone to become better is extremely hard. And I like, I've got so much more respect for professors and teachers that are doing such a good job. It's like, it's just a completely different thing than just sitting down and designing something on your own. Mm -hmm. And I think just fortunately through workshops and previous courses that were okay, but could have been better just learning how to teach and learning education Mm -hmm. while also designing, while also learning, you know, fronting code and learning video editing. I started like a vlog on YouTube for a while, learn more about videos, like pacing Mm -hmm. with music and making things entertaining. Um, and it just kind of like, I feel like all of it merged in one with, uh, have you, have you, have you been contacted by any universities or, or continuing education systems? I've had, I've had a couple of conversations. Um, like I did a, I did some like guest lecturing with one of the professors at Harvard in the middle of all that. And there's been thoughts around like, how could I leverage, shift nudge for like higher ed continuing education stuff, but it, it's actually really difficult to get curriculum approved at, mm-hmm. un, at the university level. Um, cause even when I was a professor at UGA for a while, like an adjunct professor and they let me use all of my own content, but getting actual content approved as the official curriculum is like yeah. so much red yeah. tape. And it's like, by the time, 
if I would have had like some of my illustrator content stuff approved, it probably would have been like 2017 by the time I got approved, even though I was submitting it by 2015 and all of a sudden, hello, no one's using that anymore for interface design. And so it's just like, it's hard for those big organizations to, to kind of keep up with that. Well, what I've checked out, it's such a comprehensive education and I've, I'm just so grateful that you've made that so accessible to folks. I feel like, you know, like I went to, I went to Louisiana state university. I, I, I went through their design school and we definitely did a bunch of theory. We also did a lot of like painting and collage and 3d oh, yeah. modeling and design and not on a computer, but with like, uh, you know, chicken wire and, and was it? Clay, clay sculptures. sculptures and, yeah. and I left the university experience and I feel like that, that first two years of my career was so daunting because nobody was asking me to do collage and, and still life painting. People were asking me, to, you don't need a wire sculpture for your, for your job, for your right. business. Like, that's right. On. So there's, I'm really good at, at putting like cutting mat board with an exacto I'm knife. so good at that. Like you don't need oh any my God, of that. I'm so good. My T square skills are insane. Hire me. Oh yeah. That's, that's what I mean. I feel like, you know, whether somebody wants to go to college to design school, um, or whether they want to skip it all together and jump right into your career, you've made a really solid foundational knowledge, very accessible through your course. And I, you know, it's so, like I said, comprehensive, you really, you could, you could go in knowing very, very little, if nothing and leave ready to go apply for jobs and get work. I think it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, your success stories are, they speak for themselves. Your testimonials speak for themselves, but any, uh, any, any good feedback you've got? any, any success stories that you can share? Yeah. Like one of my favorite, uh, this guy, Caden, he's been really public about it on LinkedIn and mm -hmm. stuff too. Um, he, he was like a UX designer. I think he was working for Deloitte maybe at the time and doing consulting. And I don't know if it was through that company or through another one, but he was one of the people in my first like beta group where I, I limit, I capped it at a hundred people. So I could be like super hands-on with all of the first batch of students and gave him like tons of feedback on all the designs he was doing. And this is kind of while I was still shaping the curriculum and finalizing it. And then I, I think like within a year or so, he made, he sent me a message and was like, I basically like doubled my salary after a year of like wow. getting UI skills in addition to my UX skills. Like I've like two X my salary and I'm on the track to like go another time and a half for next year. And I was just like, oh my gosh, dude, this is amazing. I was like, please let me put this on my website. And he's like, oh yeah. So he's he's written like LinkedIn posts about it multiple times. And he's always been like a big supporter, like commenting on stuff when I post it, like, you know, saying like, this is the best investment I've ever made in my career. And I'm just like, that, there's yeah. still times, even yeah. like to as early as, you know, as, as free as recently as today, where you're just like, feeling like you're not feeling it or like, do people like even care about this? And I just remember like, sometimes I'll literally just have to go back and read some of the reviews and be like, no, it is making it a is difference. Making like people difference. enjoy this. Like, because like the self limiting beliefs and the lack of confidence that you might have in yourself is by far the hardest thing that I've gone up against. And I know it can be kind of debilitating for a lot of other people. And so I think as you, stack up evidence of your success in the past. It's always good to have that on reserve that you can kind of comb through and be like, no, that is the truth. Like I've done some, I've done some badass <laughs> shit in my day. Dude, dude, that makes me so stoked. I like, I love to hear stories like that. 
Um, because there's so much sort of negativity, people tear each other down. We we're in this weird industry yeah. where, you know, the more you talk about pricing, the more hate you get because nobody wants to hear that you're making more money than them as if it's not something that they could aspire to make themselves and to yeah. get positive feedback and to make positive impact and to share skills and knowledge and content that, that lift people up is just such a bright light, man. I mean, it's super inspiring. I love it. And I love yeah. to hear, I love I, to hear that I it's having a good it, impact. What, so I, I, am I right in assuming that you, know, you said you take just a couple of projects a year? So shift nudge makes up uh, a good portion of your annual income. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, definitely the, the number one thing that I'm, you know, focused on and the number one thing that supports me yeah. right now. And, um, I've got a few, like, I'm like stealthily design advising for uh, another startup. And I've got like a few things that I'm working on that I don't necessarily always talk about or whatever, but it's, um, uh, I mean, shift nudge is definitely like number one. Mm -hmm. And I've got a lot of, I have had, and I still do have a lot of ideas for how to expand it, um, how to add new things, whether it's, whether it's new courses or new versions of existing courses. Um, I've been doing a lot of work with teams as well, like where I can, you know, get a team in, into shift nudge, but then also have a, like a, a private dedicated, like we're doing team specific design reviews with me mm -hmm. where it's almost like a product, a product tie service. And I can, you know, kind of meet with them over the course of six to 12 weeks. And so there's like kind of some product tie services and I'm looking at ways that I can continue to expand that. Um, but it, it's super fun. And I, I absolutely, I definitely love it. So are you it. still just wall to wall with, with, um, sort of at your computer every day or have you, have you balanced out your routine a bit? What is, what is your, yeah, I mean, like? for the most part, I mean, I'm definitely at my computer doing work just like everyone else. Um, I think the biggest thing that's changed is uh, both good and bad is like, in a lot of ways, I'm setting my own deadlines now and that can be pretty tough. Like sometimes I'm like, I don't know what to work on. I could do like 20,000 different things. Which one is most important? Which one should I? And so I've tried to get into groups like mastermind groups and try to find other entrepreneurs to bounce stuff off of where it's like, how do you do this? Or like when this happens, what do you do? Like, um, like hiring support people mm -hmm. and like I, just stuff that I have no idea how to do that. I've had to learn, um, you know, on the job, like I did early on with some of my software skills and whatnot. Um, so it's, it's like a whole new set of problems to, to, uh, to, to solve and, Sometimes it can be quite daunting, but, but then also like, there's this weird thing where I, I kind of have this personal rule where I'm not going to complain on Twitter or online and, uh, nobody wants to hear someone who is perceived as successful also talking about how they're having problems or like how this is difficult for them. Okay. So I'm, I don't, I don't want to like come across as like, Oh, I'm, I'm having such a hard time. So it's like, it's a weird spot to be in. So I have to find, you know, people that I can, you know, confidently share difficulties with without sounding like a triple yeah, A D. I, I get it, man. <laughs> yeah. You got, I mean, I understand that you've got to walk that balance. I know that people are inspired by success and I know that people, you know, put people up on pedestals and they're just like, man, if I had a, uh, self-financing design course, I'm sure he's just sitting back drinking pina coladas, you know, like I'm sure it's no big deal. 
Uh, but reality is that like you, you put out one fire and two or three others start as soon as you get to, as soon as you achieve one thing, a driven person's mind is, is going to focus on the next three things. It's going to start thinking about how do I take the next step? There's very little resting on the laurels. So struggle continues, man. It's never one of those things that just stops, especially if you're, if you're going to keep going. Yeah. And it's been, it's been really tricky for me to balance. Like, you know, I've had these external deadlines and external client expectations my entire professional career. And now I have a little bit more freedom to, to decide what those are, but also like that can all, that can also be like cause crippling anxiety Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Um, where it's like, it's working now, but is it going to like completely tank next year or this, you know, this time. And that's, I'm always in the back of my mind. Like it's like a a house of cards is going to fall at any moment. And I feel like I felt like that my entire freelance Mm. career. And so like that, that anxiety and fear never fully goes away. Um, so it's just trying to also be like, okay, how can I, you know, how can I just consistently provide value? I know that is like the bread and butter of any type of business transaction, like, um, just consistently provide value. And I think that's a good North. When I was freelancing and, you know, kids compound this, but you're constantly thinking about, the longevity of your career and where the industry is going and you're building safety nets and contingency plans. And you're talking to people that, you know, you just want to get to know and you want to get, you, you know, you want to share kind of a camaraderie with just in the hopes that maybe one day this could turn into something professional, but it feels like that in agencies too. And it feels like that with, you know, it doesn't, all it takes is, is for like two days after a big job to land, you know, like, Oh man, this is gonna be the biggest paycheck I've ever gotten in my life. But like, it's going to be a hell of a three months. And when it's done, like, then what am I going to do? Like, am I going to have yeah. it lined up after that? Am I, is somebody else going to yep. call me? Is the next client going to come through? Well, it's, it's, that's one of those things that more and more people will have to address and think about because it's not a, um, it's a weird, it's a weird trajectory that the industry is on right now. And there are all these weird existential threats to it, but being able to own those feelings and, and figuring out ways to compartmentalize and address those stressors and uncertainties and just keep moving forward. That's, man, that's a big part of it. I think in a lot of ways too, like the relationships that you can build and in the community that you can maintain is kind of like, you know, somewhat of a bulletproof vest around some of those just crippling anxiety or, 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 you know, you can reach out to someone, talk to somebody, get some ideas. I think, you know, keeping everything to yourself and just sitting with it and worrying about it is just such an easy way to spiral. And uh, so I think it's critical to just have, you know, people in your circle that you can talk to about stuff. And if you don't have them actively try to find them, you know, I think it's a worthwhile pursuit. I love it, man. Thanks so much for sharing kind of your story on freelancing and, um, building this amazing course in shift nudge. Um, people will definitely put you on a pedestal because you've done a lot of things right, man, but I appreciate you sharing the the tough parts of making it happen and, and what goes through your head, you know, thinking into the future and, and how it's going to be successful. Absolutely. Because I feel like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people get scared of trying something because they, 
they're worried about that negative consequence and yeah. um, they're worried about, you know, what happens if it fails or what happens if I take this risk and it doesn't pay off. And, you know, man, it, it just takes one and it just takes keep like showing up and having that idea every day, trying to make the next one happen. And, and that could be it. Yeah. And if you're, if you're listening to this and you have the thought, I wonder if I should do this, should I do that? Like, is it something you want to do? And if it is hundred percent, you should do it. And if nobody sees it or nobody cares, like at least you've got it out of your system and you've got it out into the world and you can be proud of that. And you can, you never know the intrinsic value that will come from a, a quote unquote failed project. A super quick antidote. I made a, my same developer friend that helped me try to make that Craigslist app, which never worked okay. out by the way. <laughs> we also built, we built a, a mobile application for real estate agents to take pictures of properties and upload them to create like a portfolio of their properties. And this is like 2008, 2000, this is like early, early mm -hmm. iPhone. And um, we spent eight months building this software and like launched it to crickets. And I'm like, oh, distribution. <laughs> is a thing. Uh, marketing and distribution. Yep. Yeah. I, I thought it was all about building the product. And so I learned that the hard way. And, but that little tiny dinky iPhone app that I designed helped me land a big project with an agency that was redesigning the entire AT&T mobile Uverse application for, for like AT&T. Yeah. It was like a proper AT&T project. And I ended up like flying to Dallas and presenting with their team to like, the CEO of AT&T Uverse and their, and their board and like turned into a huge project. And then it just, I started doing iPhone app after iPhone app after that. And I, in a lot of ways I got that job because I had mobile experience, even though it was like three dinky little screens that I had designed for an app that failed. And so you just never know what value is going to come from the things that you're putting out. Cause if you don't quit, it's not a failure. It's just a learning moment. If you don't quit, that's a, that's good dad advice right there. That's excellent dad <laughs> advice. And remember, if you, you know, kind of to loop back to what we said at the beginning, if you don't know what you're, what you're supposed to be doing or you don't feel like you're called to do one thing or the other, or you don't know how to get started, just say yes to some things and start working on stuff. Because yeah. by working on things that you can recognize that you don't want to do, you'll get the North Star that, pin, that points you towards the things that you really do want to do. And that's when you can capitalize on... Uh, on big ideas like, like you have, bro. How, uh, first off, how do, how do I get to shift nudge? How do we, how do we get people there for enrollment? Is it still open? Can people still sign up? Yeah, it's open right now. You can go to shiftnudge.com and you can basically see everything. And I also, I've got three free lessons where that you can get shiftnudge.com slash demo. Just pop in your email and you'll get like the actual three of the actual lessons from the full course. Um, so yeah, that's the easiest way to get, to get in the loop on that. And then to follow you it's at MDS. Yeah. I'm MDS on extremely online at Twitter threads, Instagram, all MDS. Dude, thanks so much for your time. And I appreciate all this, uh, all this knowledge. I feel like it's a, it's a crash course already. So if you want more, go check out shift nudge. Um, but in the meantime, dude, thanks for, thanks for hanging. I appreciate it. Man, thanks so much, Brian. It's been awesome chatting with you. All right, Matt. Take care, bud. Thank you for tuning in to another great episode of The Creative Brief. Now, if you're new to this channel, I invite you to subscribe for more great content every Monday. And if you're enjoying this podcast, consider sharing your favorite episode with a friend. It'll help me produce more episodes and broaden the reach of this podcast. 
As always, thank you for listening. I'm Brian Athey, and I'll see you next time.